Well, the season is upon us. I know that we are all uh, recovering from uh, the tryptophan in our system, from uh, turkey eating, and I hope that you are doing well, and uh, it, is, uh, it is Advent, and we're going to get started with an important series. Um, uh, and this morning, we're going to talk about the arrival of Jesus who arrives with three-title authority, three-title authority. Our text, our key text, is Luke 2.11. That's all you have to focus on this morning. I'm really preaching on just one Bible verse. And so uh, we're going to get started. Uh, I don't know what it is about seminary that preachers are always, I know Nathaniel and Brandon here have been to, been to seminary, and whenever I hear them preach, uh, referring to seminary stories. We all have stories of seminary, and I don't know what it is. We just, a lot of things happen in seminary. Well, for me, uh, I went to RTS Orlando. Uh, I was a West Coast, born and raised in West Coast, uh, California, the land of of fruit and nuts. Um, And I went to the East Coast for the first time in my life. I don't know if Florida counts as the East Coast. There's sort of this, I don't know, some of you go, no, no, no. So so Marianne and I are in, in Florida, in Orlando, and I went to this upstart brand new seminary. Well, uh, you attend conferences and seminars and special events, and people uh, about, well, I, I can only, only say it on a regular basis, people came up to me, I think at least three people did, before the fourth person finally convinced me to do something. Uh, people would come up to me and say, Capen, Capen, do you know Richard Capen? I said, no, I don't know Richard Capen. Oh, you should meet Richard, you should meet Richard Capen. And I, okay, and then uh, this happened, I think, around three times, and then the fourth one was a visiting lecturer, uh, and during a break, he came right up to me. Somehow, he'd heard my last name, and he came up to me and says, "Do you know Richard Capen?" I, uh, it was driving me crazy. You know? I said, "No, I don't know who Richard Capen." Is. Well, he is the editor of the Miami Herald, and you should meet him. He's a great guy. You should meet him. So. Um, somewhat irritated by how what a wonderful person this must be. I, I, I just said, well, and I thought about it. So a couple of weeks later, I wrote, this is pre-internet, no email, pre, and, I, and I, I got a hold of the Miami Herald's uh, mailing address, and I wrote the Richard Capen editor, and I wrote this handwritten note, and uh, hi, uh, my last name is Capen, and... Uh, I'm a seminary student, and people, I keep meeting people who tell me to say hello to you and to get to know you and that you're a great person. I can't remember what I said. I write this note. And I send it off. And months go by. I completely forget about it. And then I, something like six months later, this envelope arrives in my, at our house. And it's one of these things that looks like a wedding uh, announcement, right? And it's this envelope, and I open up, and this beautiful maroon interior lining, and then there's another envelope inside there, and then there's another envelope inside there. And what is this thing? And then I hear, read this beautifully written, handwritten note, dear Todd. I hear good things about RTS Orlando. So glad you're a student there. Uh, wish you the best. Uh, and I wish I had more time in my present station where I am. I w- if you could ever get to Spain, uh, I'd l- would love to have you come and visit. 
but there's a new administration now, and I've been serving President Bush here in Spain, uh, but my term is now coming to an end. Wishing you the best, Richard Capon, Ambassador to Spain. Really true. Uh, and when I, I was just sort of like, wow, this is amazing. And when I think about this, this, these early chapters in Luke, what you have is like you're opening the envelope. Huh. Wow. The one who's going to be born to Mary, he gets his own prophet, John. That's an envelope. And then let's, let's open up another envelope. Oh, one of the key priests in the temple is visited by an angel. You're going to have a son, and he'll be the prophet of the Most High. He's going to make the crooked paths straight, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And increasingly, you open these envelopes, and you begin to anticipate what might be the final announcement, what might be what's there to design to capture our attention. What, what is going to grip us in the course it happens in Luke chapter 2. When it is announced to the shepherds from an angel and then the heavenly host, we are all familiar with this, that the, uh, the arrival of this king has actually happened. And so the titles as they unfold in the Bible are key because they tell us who this person is and how special he is. And whenever in the Bible you have angels announcing something, hold on, something really remarkable is about to happen. They don't appear on every page in the Bible. But when they show up, something extraordinary is about to happen. And so one of the key phrases in the early chapter, first chapter of Luke, is the Most High, God the Most High. John the Baptist would go before the Lord and be the prophet of the Most High. And what we have developing is these royal titles given to Jesus. And Luke tells us the setting in Luke 2, verse 1, that the Caesar of the day, Augustus, was conducting a census, counting heads in the Roman Empire. And this Lord will be contrasted with the, the one who was born to Mary. This Lord is the true Lord, who is not just Lord over the, the Roman Empire. He is Lord over all creation and Lord over everyone. And so in the typical Advent order, we would probably wait till Christmas Eve to, to preach on the shepherds and the angels. Yeah. But this morning, we're going to go right to the announcement. And uh, as, as, uh, as people were commending to me a Richard Capon, that I should know him, get to know him. They were commending to me. To me, They were speaking in such words of, of praise and adoration for this man. I, I couldn't, re- I, ultimately, finally, I couldn't resist. And I would encourage you, here it is, December 1. Let us consider how to speak and to commend Christ to our neighbors and coworkers. To be a bit more bold than we may normally feel that we are or, or are, go beyond our personality and to commend him, because that is what the the shepherds uh, experience, the commendation of the of uh, from the angels they they were hearing the praise of this extraordinary person, this three 
titled person. For unto, unto you in the city of David is born a Savior. What kind of Savior? Oh, he is the Messiah Lord. He is the anointed Christos, the Christos Kyrios, the Lord. He is this unique person with titles that merge together, and he is commended to us. So first, and, and rather, again, we're going to just be exploring this subject during, during the season of Advent, Christ the Messiah Lord, the Messiah Lord. First, let's look at the concept of Savior. You'll see it there in, in verse, verse 11. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And where is he from? What is his lineage? It is David. He is in the city of, uh, of David. He's born in, in Bethlehem. And of course, the, the idea that he is of David's lineage is extremely important because he, if you hear this in the church, you hear the idea that Jesus was born uh, according to the, the family of David or in David's family. This is really important because the coming or the, the hope of Israel, the hope of Israel was that there would be would a greater David would come, a greater David would arrive. And in the history of Israel, David, with all his flaws, the height of the kingdom of Israel, the best glorious days of Israel were under David. And that was approximately 1,000 B.C. Abraham was 2,000 years B.C. And David was 1,000 years B.C. David had his flaws, but God um, received a request from David toward the end of his life. David was tired of the tabernacle, this tent structure, and he wanted to build his God uh, a temple, a, a royal house, a place of great beauty and, and gold and magnificence. And God returns to David a, a pledge and a promise, and this is found in 2 Samuel 7. God turns to David and says, essentially the subtext is, David, I know you want to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. One will be on your throne. A son of yours will forever reign on your throne, David. And David died knowing that a, a covenant was promised with a coming king of his, of David's lineage. This then becomes a shaping motif, a shaping theme for the Old Testament. Who will be this coming son of David? And Israel goes through all kinds of tumultuous times, and the kingdom is split, and there's a northern and a southern kingdom, and there's terrible times, and they're actually the Assyrian kingdom dominates the north, and the Babylonians come and uh, make... Uh, decimate the south, the southern kingdom and uh, there's lots of trouble and there's lots of, of, of sadness and, and judgment and exile in the Old Testament and by the, by the end of the Old Testament it sort of ends almost sort of people are just exhausted and there's really n almost nothing left of, of what God had designed in Israel but there was the promise that the great days of David would return the great glorious days when the kingdom is being pushed back, when the kingdom is expanding and the enemies of Israel are being pushed back, the borders of Israel are being expanded. So what we call, or it's been theologians call the Davidic covenant was the divine kingly covenant. And this is what Luke is signaling in, in Luke 2.11. 
For unto you is born one of David's sons. That's the idea. One who fulfills the great anticipated promise. He is the Savior. He has saving power to bring back the glorious days of Israel. The saving power to restore the kingdom. Saving power to deal with sins. Saving power to be the priest that was always anticipated. Saving power to be the mediator through which A new humanity now lives in restored order before a holy God. The days of glory are coming, and a small band of people knew it. Mary, in particular, was well-versed in covenant theology. She knew that God had promised the days of glory to come when a divine warrior would come, a Savior who is powerful to conquer the enemies of his people. So that's just an introduction. Do we, uh, we are continually using the term Savior in church, and rightly so, but he is declared in the gospel announcement that the Savior is, has been born. Now let's just move uh, to the second idea, and that is that he is the Messiah. Uh, he is Christ the Lord. Uh, The Greek word Christos uh, is a word that connects with the Hebrew word for Messiah. And so he is the Messiah, Lord. And Lord is a term that began to be used in the Greek translation of of uh, of the Bible or the Old Testament. And that term, Lord, became the word that replaces the, uh, the word Yahweh or Jehovah. So in many ways, we, we don't use the term Jehovah that, that much in church. We use the term Lord. And what this, what this was was a, the divine title. It was a, a, a title uh, meaning that this is the Lord embodied in human flesh. He is the Messiah, meaning that he is the anointed one. He is David's Messiah, the one who has been set apart, empowered with the Spirit. And this is clearly understood by Jesus. Jesus was conscious, self-consciously aware that he had the anointing of God and he was the one who would usher in the kingdom. And one of his favorite texts is Isaiah 61. Uh, It's probably the most quoted, I'm thinking, uh, passage of of Jesus uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 61. Uh, And Isaiah 61, verse 1 says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Lord has set me apart with Messiah anointing set apart for this purpose to deliver and he has set me uh, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives Christ set apart as the Messiah comes to those who are exiled in darkness comes to those who are lost in the land of sin in darkness and he's coming now and he anointed of God, empowered in a special way with the Spirit, and he comes preaching the good news of deliverance. The day of deliverance has arrived. No longer will you be captive. The history of, Babel, of, of Israel would be, would be Babylon. 
No longer will you be captive to your captor. You will now be free. And he has the authority to bring this good news, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this begins to shape the whole ministry of Jesus. He is a preacher of good news. And his good news preaching continues, as Pastor Nathaniel mentioned, in the book of Acts. Peter stands and says, the one you crucified, God has made the Messiah Lord. Uh, You helped it all happen. He's the deliverer, and he's going to be delivered. He's going to deliver you through his own death. He's the one who conquered death and and now is the reigning king. And the good news is proclaimed in the book of Acts. And this king now is reigning through the proclamation. Just like he demonstrated his kingship as he proclaimed and taught, now he is reigning through uh, his church. Uh, His church is preaching the gospel. His church is given the care of the elders. His church is now... uh, a central aspect of the kingdom that's happening right now. Pretty exciting stuff, and all Caesar gets to do is count heads. Do you see what Luke's saying there? Oh, yeah, there's a census going on, and then Caesar's counting how many people are in his kingdom. That's what he gets to do. But the contrast is that this is an extraordinary anointed one of God the Messiah. And then uh, the, the uh, idea that he is the Lord, uh, the, the Kyrios, the, a divine title. And uh, this, again, takes up, uh, takes up a whole new expression in Luke's second edition, the book of Acts. This is gospel preaching. He is, he is to be proclaimed as Lord. And you'll notice in a, in a Presbyterian church... <laughs> um, we, we don't present Jesus as suggesting ideas. I don't know if you notice that. We don't present Jesus as wishing and hoping, uh, trying, uh, sort of exasperated in heaven, having done all that he can. We present Christ as king. We present him as the, the one who is commanding, and he is proclaiming the, the age of the gospel. But he is the Lord. He is the sovereign king. It is not wise to turn your ear away from him. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come, do not live uh, apart from this Lord. Lord was a title of divinity. And Luke is presenting Christ as the king, the Lord. So let's, let me just wrap this up in a, by way of some application and then we'll, uh, we're going to proclaim um, what it is we believe uh, today. We're going to declare our faith and then we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. What are these titles for? What are they for? I'm going to suggest that they form a people. They form a people. You may be hearing this as a typical American. I, I listen to it uh, as a typical American sort of thinking of myself in as an individual. But this is forming a, a people who have a common need. They form a, these words, these titles, a common need. They need to have heaven speak to them. They know they've been made for God. 
They are in mourning and in sorrow. They are brokenhearted. They are the poor in spirit. They need mercy. What are these titles for? Or to whom do they mean the most? What are these titles? Our age, uh, recently I read, has renounced the transcendent. This means that we've given up, that there is no heaven, and there is no God, and there is no connection. Heaven has not spoken, and no one is there to meet us. But in these titles, what we have is that God is connecting with these desires within us that won't go away. He forms a people who have become aware of desire. And this desire cannot be met in this temporary experience. Born this day is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Turn away from all that is trivial. Turn away from all that you have thought would work for you. Acknowledge that you are, you are held captive to this darkness And this God has come to give you an unending connection with himself. Recently I read this. uh, uh, This is a quote I wrote down, and it goes like this. The heart longs to consummate its desire with the sweetness of unending happiness. We are not reconciled to life as it is given to us, full of boredom and trivialities, that stun the spirit. Anguish we cannot digest. Pleasure we cherish but cannot hold. You see, we gather today as a church and we are sort of stuck. This means that we as human beings are expressing our desire, we're aware of our desire, we're searching for something, we're trying to hold on to it, and we, the longer we live, the more we are aware it is not working. It's not working. What happens when this awareness comes over you that you know what you're chasing will not work? You then, if you have no gospel, you turn away and your spirit is crushed. Now, he forms a people through these royal titles, but we see something marvelous happening in this person. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God intends to make you royal. God intends to take your brokenness and and all that needs to be healed in your life and to bring you into the redemption that is his son, to bring you into the anointed one and to start a process of healing. And what's so unique is that it happens because he became poor. None of us can read Luke chapter 2 without realizing he was born in a manger. God was unashamedly connecting to the poorest of people in the world, not wishing for any kind of royal titles or royal treatment to come between God and people who were truly poor. God identifies with the outcast 
those who are not considered at all by society, God has removed all barriers. So he's forming up a, a people, and, and I think he also, he, he's forming a people through fostering awe. Luke chapter 2, awe, oh, it's there. And what's remarkable, if, you, if we take a more of a helicopter uh, a flight above the Bible here a little bit, what's remarkable about this title of, for unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, really if you take the big step back from the Bible, we realize that the one who is born is, is taking up the mantle that was dropped by Adam. Adam was put in the garden as this, this one who was sort of this priest-like, king-like person. And he was put into a garden to manage it and to take care of it. And evil was there. And Adam was to, to, to overcome evil. Adam was tasked with the, the idea of, of protecting God's created order and subduing evil and ushering in an age of bliss and eternal happiness on earth. That was Adam's charge when God says, uh, God says to him, uh, multiply subdue this earth. And of course, Adam shirks his responsibility and radically sins and commits cosmic treason and the world is, the creation and man is tumbling into this this terrible state of of the curse. God picks it up again with Israel and sort of reestablishes his plan. Israel will be this mediator between uh, heaven and earth. Israel will now go out and, and bring the glory of God over all this, all this evil, and, and, and Israel will, will put on display the right kind of obedience to me. And Israel fails miserably. And then, and then we're left with just promises. Will God fulfill his promise? Will evil be the last word about mankind? Will, and of course, now, we see that God has reestablished his divine plan through the second Adam. You see, all of this is to produce awe in you. I thought it was lost. I thought it was just this, my, little, my little slice of life. I thought it was just this little moment. I thought it was just eking out a, a, a living and enjoying a few, a few pleasures here and there. I thought oh, that was it. And I'm brought into this wonderful panorama of, of, of glory. And if it's not enough for us, we hear the shepherds being instructed by an angel. Hey, by the way, this is going to happen. And it's, going to be, it's right there. The city of David, uh, a savior is born. He's Christ the Lord. The shepherd's like, oh, okay. And, and then, if it's not enough, verse 14, the host of heaven appears. Glory to God in the highest. In other words, heaven understands that creation is not lost. Heaven understands that Satan will be subdued. Heaven understands that man will be remade and rehumanized through this one who has these divine titles and who will usher in those things. Isn't that great? Uh, may God give us a due sense of his mercy toward us and create awe in us. Uh, so much to say. So much to communicate, but uh, uh, one, one final thought, I think that God is shaping a people for himself through the character of the one who came. And uh, this is so clear. Of course, we, we know much more about Jesus than uh, Luke's chapter 2, 
Uh, we, we see him uh, alive in the gospel accounts. Uh, Einstein uh, actually said this very interesting quote from Albert Einstein. He says, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrase mongers. However artful, no man can read the Gospels without feeling, feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. See, we're opening the envelopes, and something, something happens when we get to the final envelope. This is the embodiment of the love of God, and it's more beautiful than we thought. And he invites us. He says, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And there's a place of rest for anxious hearts here. Caesar Augustus has no interest in anxious hearts. And so what do we do today? We come and rest. We come and rest with the Messiah Lord who calls us to dine with him, to experience his presence. Among friends, he says, I want to have a meal meal with you, and I want to give you what you need. You need to know that I gave my life and I laid it down of my own accord. These titles are not just academic. They take on flesh as love walked among us. So let's start the season. Let's commend him. May he be commended again and again to you through the word of God this season. And may there be an overflow in your heart to those who need him. Let's pray. Lord, you're shaping a people through the character of your son. You're shaping us through awe. You're shaping us through... uh, You're reestablishing and you took up again the great plan of creation and the great plan of humanity. Father, thank you for being our King and our Lord. We celebrate your goodness. Today, Lord, find us who are broken, who feel lonely, who may feel disconnected from you. Find us receiving this truth. Lord, if you want to be my Savior, if you're desirous to be my Savior, then be my Savior, Lord. Father, for anyone here who is not a believer, may they know that the anointed one, the one separated, the one who is the object of all desire, finally, has come. May we start good conversations with people who who do not yet believe. And so find, find us, Lord, willingly receiving your grace today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.